So we're in 1 Corinthians, and we're continuing from where we left off last week, still in chapter 9. Uh, today, I was just going to be preaching on the second half of chapter 9, from verse 19 through to 27, and Paul's use of his freedom. So 1 Corinthians chapter 9, from verse 19 through to 27. Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to, the, to win the weak. I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way so as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air, no. I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I've preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. Amen. And give thanks to God for this reading of his own holy and inspired word. I'm now going to hand over to Alistair. How many... Teddies were lost. How many of you had to leave soft toys behind? We were doing soft toys at our table, or we did some anyway. Okay, all right. We've been looking at this um, passage in 1 Corinthians for a couple of weeks now. Um, I will do a wee recap, but I promise those of you who've been here faithfully last week and week before that uh, I won't do as long a recap. Um, but it's necessary just to understand. We're thinking about a church in Corinth, a city in some respects, although vastly different culturally in time and space from ours, but in other respects, uh, a church that was a gathered community from across uh, the different echelons of society, uh, from different ethnic origins. Corinth was a trade route crossing point from north to south and east to west, and so typically of all cities on such crossing points, uh, was a melting pot for people of all kinds of backgrounds. Uh, a, a place of significant commerce and trade, obviously, and therefore also the industries that grew up around that. And, and what we've been learning is that part of the, the challenge for this young church in Corinth, made up of people from so many different backgrounds, was what was it going to look like for them to represent the unifying grace and the power of the gospel, uh, which would trump and triumph over all of the differences, ethnic, cultural, socioeconomic, uh, you name it, that could very, that, 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 that otherwise fractured and would fracture the community, which is exactly the same situation that in a city center church in Glasgow in 2017, in a city that is culturally diverse, uh, in a city that has uh, every re uh, representative of, of human society, if you like, in all its mix, what does it mean for us 
as, as, a, as a tiny sample, cross-section of that, to bear witness to a gospel which challenges us to see beyond and move beyond and get beyond all those barriers and differences and to become a new community, to be a people, to be a society, a family who prioritize our love for Jesus and our commitment to one another over the things that would otherwise divide us out there in the big bad world. And so the same challenge is the challenge that's faced every church, how to represent and how to live as a people who, who share the spiritual DNA of Jesus in our life together as a people who serve Him and serve one another. And so the Corinthian church was working that out. They were a fairly young church, a church that it seems from reading the, 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 the letter was in many ways prone to vulnerable to division, to people doing their own thing, to splitting off into factions. Some saying, oh, well, we're, we're really, uh, we're, we're fans of Paul because he planted the church. But there was another faction saying, oh, well, we're fans of Apollos, perhaps because he was a, a very educated scholarly man, and, and maybe they saw in him, uh, uh, you know, a bit of an academic that they, that they liked. And some said, no, we're fans of Peter because he's the, uh, the one on whom Jesus planted the church, and he's the head of the Jerusalem church, and, and maybe the ones coming from a Jewish background, although Paul obviously was Jewish too, uh, saw the mother church in Jerusalem and Peter as, as their, uh, their, their kind of highest apostle. And so there's this propensity for diversity and division in the church, the propensity for the, the old values and standards of the world still to creep back in as there is in, in this and any church. Because we live as a called-out people, but we live in the world. And so we've come to this section on idolatry, and we've understood that in the church or in Corinthian society, there were lots of uh, idol temples, little pagan temples, many of them associated with trade guilds. And so there were clubs and societies often associated with uh, people's work or employment or craft or skill. And so they associated uh, their work, the work that they did, they, they, they saw a spiritual dimension to it. So they, a bit like having patron saints, I suppose, they had temple shrines that were associated with, with uh, perhaps the, the, the craft or the skill or the job that they did. And in those shrines, they would have gatherings, they would have assemblies, they would have fellowship meals. And at those meals, meat would be served, which had been given and dedicated to the God of, of, that, of that craft, of that trade. I, I keep dragging leather work up, but let's just keep it as an example. So a leather workers guild would have the, their, their idol to the, the god of leather work and make offerings and sacrifices, and there would be someone who would fulfill a priestly role. And we recognize that there's parallels with that in, in our society. In, for instance, Freemasonry, which is a society that gathers people out of the background of their work, but adds and overlays a whole cult, a whole religious dimension so that there's a, a load of rituals to become a Freemason. And, and guys will come in at the beginning because they think it's going to help them move on in their work. 
and it's going to be a good place to network and make helpful connections to advance you in your job and maybe smooth the way for you. But of course, along the way, it becomes more and more obvious that there's a whole ritual and religion and spiritual subtext to this, which has its own agenda. And so that's possibly one of the closest parallels we see in our society. So the challenge then, the challenge for the church and the Christians in Corinth was what are we supposed to do? How are we to respond? And there were some who said, oh, these gods and idols and temples mean nothing. We can carry on going because we know that there's only one God and we've discovered, we've learned, we've received the gospel that tells us that Jesus is God. Jesus has come to earth in the person of his son and Jesus has made, opened a way of salvation for us. And so any other gods or temples is just a load of nonsense. It's superstition. It's, you know, it's throwing salt over your shoulder. It's all manner of things that mean nothing. So it doesn't really matter if you go to an idol feast or not. And so that's the dilemma because Paul said, yeah, but what about these young Christians who are watching you go there and take part in things that have nothing to do with Jesus and virtually deny him. Maybe this past week, probably, and the press has given us just a perfect example of that. A charity dinner for 360 men in the Dorchester Hotel, something that's charitable in its outlook, but a networking opportunity, a blokes sort of event where guys could get together. But as a Christian, and indeed now as politicians and people in public office, with a massive public spotlight shone on what went on at that event, the big questions there hanging in the air, is it right to go somewhere where 130 hostesses are being uh, not just paraded, but uh, groped and and, uh, abused and feeling violated by being employed in that way in that event. So it's not entirely the same, but there are similarities. A gathering for guys that's not going to do your career or your connections any harm, that might be a, a good night out if nobody else was looking, that actually you now read the stories of some people who went and felt uncomfortable and left quickly because they realized that what was taking place there did not sit comfortably or appropriately with what they stood for or believed. So, plus ça change, plus à la même chose. It's just the same thing, isn't it? Here we are all these thousands of years after the church at Corinth was wrestling with this stuff. And Paul is saying to the church, what do you do with your freedom? Of course, you're, you're free from the worry or the superstition or the slavery of these idol temples, thinking, have I given a, a good enough offering to get my career a, a nudge up the ladder? Free from placating the gods of leatherwork or stonework or, or whatever your, your trade was. But on the other hand, what are you going to use your freedom for. And so that's what we've been looking at. And we we looked at the first part of chapter 9 last week where Paul talks about his own freedom. 
and all the things that he might expect and the privileges that he might expect and the benefits that he might expect from his calling his role as an apostle. But he goes into great detail to describe how even though he knows his freedom in Jesus, he's not going to take advantage of that freedom just to please himself. He's not going to take advantage of the freedom that God's given him as an apostle, for instance, to, to, to expect a cut from the church. He said, I could expect you to support me financially, but I choose not to do that so as not to be a burden to you so that I might preach the gospel for free. And so he comes on to this part that, that we're thinking about today. Though I am free and belong to no one, I've made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. And so Paul wants to understand or wants the church in Corinth to understand and to ask themselves the question, what are you going to do with the freedom that Jesus has given you? What are you doing with the freedom that Jesus has given you? And actually, there's these verses, you know, from time to time you go to conferences and things and people will say, eh, you know, well, can you think of a verse that's, that's kind of inspired you or steered you or guided you or meant something to you along the way? These next verses, I think, would probably be really important ones for me, have been really, really important ones for me as guiding principles, both in my calling as a Christian and in my, my, my ministry. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under, uh, under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I become all things to all people, so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the glory, for the sake of the gospel, that I might share in its blessings. All right, we're going to watch a little video clip now. Just YouTube clips have their uses. They also have strings of comments afterwards. Can you imagine? Can you imagine what the what the principal debate in the comments after that YouTube clip was? Was that real? Yes. <laughs> it's certainly a real chameleon. Uh, and it was very interesting reading down. I don't know if it's real or not. I rather suspect it's not real. Uh, it's an illustration of what chameleons are capable of doing, but there would be uh, no evidence in the background that the chameleon was being stimulated to change color, certainly not in such a beautiful uh, rainbow sequence. But nonetheless, I don't know whether it is or not, because I scrolled down the comments, uh, there were all these people weighing in and saying, actually, they do change color, and they change quickly. Uh, certain species change really quickly. Anyway, whether it's, uh, whether it's real or a fake for illustrative purposes, it serves my purpose fine as an illustration. The lowly chameleon, or the interesting chameleon, and we've all heard the stories about, you know, you can put chameleons on tartan rugs and they explode and all that nonsense. Uh, <laughs> I 
uh, yeah, whether or not they do, I have no idea, and we're not going to find out, are we? Because that wouldn't be very kind or humane. Why does a chameleon change color? What, what is it that, come on, you've heard the sound of your own voices. What is it? We all know, right? What is it that, that makes a chameleon change its color? Sorry? To protect itself? Self-preservation? Why? What, what is it trying to do? Hide. Yeah. Okay, so we all understand that chameleons change color to blend in with the background that they are on, right? It's a camouflage device. Actually, that's only half true. Chameleons uh, blend in. That's some of what they do, and they will use their, their ability to change color, maybe not just quite as, uh, as with such luminescence or such speed as that one, uh, but they will blend into the background. But what chameleons will also do is that they will use their color-changing ability to interact with another chameleon. So whether it be a gesture of threat or whether it be a mating ritual, whether they send signals and they sense the mood of another and they display their own mood uh, in the broadest sense uh, for for kind of, you know, not not kind of higher-order creatures, I suppose. But nonetheless, they demonstrate. We kind of tend to think of the description of someone as a chameleon as a negative, a pejorative sort of thing. We tend to think if there's someone who's got got no consistency, there's somebody who uh, just, uh, you know, uh, runs with the fox and hunts with the hounds, they they, they don't have any kind of moral fiber or backbone, they will just fit in wherever for their own own survival. But actually, I want to just use, leave that kind of vision of a chameleon dangling in your mind and ask you to think that actually from Paul's point of view, Uh, when he was speaking to the Corinthians, he was putting a chameleon challenge before them. And bear in mind those two different reasons why chameleons change color. And I suppose his challenge expressed to you and to me is this. Do we just fit in with whatever background is necessary to ensure our survival or our well-being or our advancement? Because that's what the Corinthians were at risk of doing. I'll go along to church whenever the church gathers, and I'll proclaim the name of Jesus, and I'll be part with Him uh, and with His people and profess Jesus in this environment because that will ensure my status and standing and well-being and survival within the body of Christ over here. But on Thursday afternoon, I'm going to the equivalent of the Gentleman's Club in the Dorchester because that's when me and the guys are having a bit of a bash. And so over here, I will blend in and be a different color on this day under these circumstances because that then will fit in with uh, the other bit of my life because that's how I survive. You see, that's the negative, pejorative side of what the Corinthians were doing or attempting to do, justifying their freedom in Jesus to do whatever because they've been set free from dietary laws. They've been set free from worrying about whether they placated the temple gods and all this kind of stuff. So they could use their freedom. But what were they using it for? Paul, by contrast, wanted to use his freedom to match himself to anyone that he might encounter in a way that would help them come to know Jesus. So he was 
doing the other chameleon thing, relating to people, using his ability to move between Jewish culture and Gentile culture, whether speaking Aramaic or Greek or maybe Latin, and encountering people in any and every way that he could, not to hide himself, not for his own advantage, but in order that he might do exactly what he said here. To the Jews, I became like a Jew, whatever color we might choose to represent them by. To those under the law, so uh, Pharisees perhaps, I became like one under the law because he could walk the walk and talk the talk of the Pharisees. Boy, did he know. Paul is someone who tells us from Philippians chapter 3, if anyone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness, based on the law, faultless. So Paul knew where he was from and where he fit in. But he wasn't about to look on all of those things as barriers or obstacles to him changing to whatever color he needed to, not for his own survival, not out of cowardice, not to hide, but to engage, to encounter, to come alongside. Now, Paul was still Paul and would be the guy that he was with his cultural background and, and the person that he was. You know, you've, you are who you are. You've got your background. But what does it look like? What does it look like for you and me to take the attitude that Paul took that says, yeah, though I am free and belong to no one, I've made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. Folks, what do we use our freedom for? So I'm going to take another little pause at this moment. And uh, Anna, where are you? Ian, are you still in the room? Oh, do you want to come up here and let just let me uh, interview you for a couple of minutes? Sorry, I gave you precisely zero notice of that, but we'll, 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 we'll just let you come up and, uh, or maybe I'll just come down. There's more space down here. So, I'll ask, uh, I'll ask, yeah, yeah, Anna first, actually, yeah. Um, so, this has been a special weekend for you. Do you want to tell us why? Um, so, yesterday I was commissioned as a street pastor, which is very exciting. Yay! And this was a special weekend, Ian, for you. Why? Because I received my commissioning for becoming a prayer pastor. Yay. So, for people who have just walked in from Mars and do not know what street pastors are, do you want to just give us a, a, a couple of sentences on what you're going to be doing, Anna? Yeah. Um, so once a month, um, I go out with the team um, to the Knights of Glasgow. Um, we walk around like Soggy Hall Street and things from about 10 till 4 in the morning, um, helping people who may have got into a bit of a sticky situation, um, giving people flip-flops, um, speaking to people who maybe don't have a home for the night um, and just helping them as well. 
Okay, thank you. That's great. Yeah, Ian, what are you going to be doing? What, what do prayer pastors do? Well, uh, well, Anna is out on the streets from uh, 10 o'clock until 4 o'clock. I'm based here in St. George's Tron with other prayer uh, pastors. And we cover Anna and her team and uh, anyone else. We have a safe zone here. We have police officers here. And we cover them in prayer. And if Anna comes across anyone who needs prayer uh, and is having a difficult time, then we pray for them. So we're here from 10 o'clock until 4 o'clock the same as when they're out. So you've been out on observation. How was that? Yeah, I loved it. I really like going out. Um, <laughs> I don't know, I just really like going out and helping people, like, just showing them love because you don't actually know what the, like, impact of that's going to be. And just giving people flip-flops. Like, people are so grateful for flip-flops. Like, oh, and then they always just, like, ask why you're doing things. It's just such a nice opportunity to just be, like, you think to show some love and just see why. Fantastic. And uh, you've been prayer pastoring now for a little while. I know you were commissioned, but... Uh, so can, I, mean, I haven't really given you much notice, but have you got any little kind of snippets that you can share that have encouraged you along the way with that? I have uh, seen so many miracles in one year. In fact, in one night, more than I've ever seen in my life. Uh, it's quite difficult to give you specific examples, but uh, there was one evening we were sitting downstairs. This is probably the shortest thing I can and one of the, the team leaders came in and said, do you know, I can't believe that. I gave that to you, Susan, who I was working with, and you, I told you we needed prayer, and within two minutes, the whole situation was resolved. Ambulances had arrived, police had come in, and they were looking after this person. And even though he, he, he is a team leader, he just was so gobsmacked that he could send that to us and we would pray and that, that situation was resolved very, very quickly. We're uh, just going to pray for you guys, okay? Um, I'm going to, Anna has her first proper shift as a commissioned street pastor without wearing the ugly yellow observer's vest that she's had to wear uh, on, what is it, the 24th, 25th? So we're going to, after she's done her shift, we're going to get her back up here and just tell us how it was, okay? But let's just pray for you just now at this point. Father, we thank you so much, Lord, for uh, Anna and Ian's willingness to step up and serve you uh, in this way, to put themselves out there on the streets. And so, Lord, we just want to pray uh, your blessing upon them. We want to pray that, Lord, not just their commissioning yesterday, but their sense of being commissioned, sent out, supported, uh, recognized by this, their home congregation uh, is also part of that. And so in your name, Lord, we want to add to that commissioning blessing. Pray that you will anoint and equip them, resource them from every, for every shift that they're on, every time that they engage and offer themselves uh, so that the love of Jesus might be known by those who need first to encounter that uh, through compassionate kindness and a little miracle breaking out in their life in answer to prayer. So we ask your blessing upon them, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you very much, guys. We'll have you back. Give them a wee round of applause. Why did I just get Anna and Ian up there? Because we have an opportunity as a church in the city center to either go to the Jews or to the Gentiles, to those with the law, to those without the law. 
You know, we have an opportunity as a church. We are people who've been set free in Jesus Christ. And Paul recognized that he had an opportunity either to use the benefits of Jesus just for himself. That's great. I'm forgiven. I'm saved. And now I've got this, this, this uh, love relationship between me and the Father. And that's fantastic. I, I'm, I'm a new creation in Jesus Christ. But Paul was not satisfied that his life would just be about him celebrating the freedom that he discovered from all the, the baggage and the labels and the bondage that I, I read earlier on of being a, a Hebrew of Hebrews and a Pharisee and, 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 and all the expectations and the burdens that went with that. And so Jesus had set Paul free and he wanted to use his freedom to make himself a slave to everyone so as to win as many as possible. And so I suppose I just want us as a church to keep before us the fact that we have an opportunity in and through this church, and it's not one to burden ourselves with, but it's an opportunity. We have opportunities through the cafe that we run six days a week to engage with workers and shoppers and, and people who just come in for a wee cup of tea. One of the things I would love us to be able to do, and it's partly an organizational thing, but partly a personnel thing, is to have enough of a team of people that we could actually have a little um, cafe pastoral team. That we could have people who would just be available in the cafe. There's a quiet, non-threatening presence, not someone going hitting people with Bibles or shoving texts under their noses. I have thought about putting texts on rice paper and baking them onto the scones, but I don't think that would. But to have a gentle presence in the cafe of people who are just there and available to listen, to pray, to be there, to win those who are lonely or around during the day, shoppers, workers, and so on. We have an office that is used by Workplace Chaplaincy Scotland upstairs. I would love it if this church had some of our own workplace chaplaincy volunteers so that we actually could partner with them in ministering to the shop workers and the business staff in and around the businesses of the city center. And you know, if anybody, it would just need to be one person wanted to become a volunteer and to, to boost what goes on in, in the city center in terms of being a chaplain uh, to, to people and caring for them pastorally, then there's an opportunity. We have an opportunity because street, Glasgow Street Pastors is based here, and the prayer pastors are based here, and the front of the church uh, next Saturday uh, will be back in use as a safe zone, and the street pastors are back on the streets. So great, we've got two people signed up. I would love if we saw and recognized that this is a ministry that we engage with. And because for some people, it's became, uh, you know, Paul became a Jew to win the Jews, a Gentile to win the Gentiles. Anna's become a street pastor to reach the nighttime community, as has Ian, a prayer pastor. But some people are engaged with Glasgow City Mission, and we have a tremendous relationship with Glasgow City Mission, and they always need volunteers to resource the work of feeding the hungry and the homeless. We do some of that through the cafe here. It's absolutely fantastic to have Dean back with us today. Fantastic. Welcome, Dean. Welcome home. Uh, who's just been through a Teen Challenge program, and it's great to have you back here with us. Um, and, and between us and Glasgow City Mission, uh, we've been trying to help and support Dean, and Dean's now getting ready to give back, aren't you? Yeah, amen. That's right. We'll get you up to speak another week. I don't think it was fair to do it this week. 
you've just got your feet on the ground. <laughs> We're trying to develop a student ministry at Glasgow, a city of Glasgow College through the chaplaincy team. You know, we have all these open doors. And I'm not going to tell you what you should do. I'm just wanting to put Paul's challenge before you. And your challenge may be, well, actually, thank you. I've got my hands full being a Christian in my office. <laughs> and that's great because that's another calling. But Paul went beyond the limits. He crossed the room, to use John Ortberg's phrase. He crossed the room in order that by all means he might save some. He set aside the things that might so easily be limiting. He was unwilling to let any other religious, ethnic, or cultural obstacle be a barrier to people coming to know Jesus. And we have an opportunity to do the same. And so he uh, finishes off this little exhortation, and then he'll come back to talk to more specifically about idolatry. Where we'll just have one more week on it. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. This summer, uh, the, when the, the European Games, 2018 European Games, will be on and Glasgow is co-hosting them, um, uh, the front of the church will be clad for two weeks or something like that with, with uh, Glasgow 2018. We, were, we had a great opportunity with the Commonwealth Games a couple of years ago, and so four years ago, now we have an opportunity again. Um, and that's because the cycling events will come past the church, so they want to use the church because of where it is as a kind of billboard for a couple of weeks. So we're going to partner around that. Only one cyclist will win the prize. They're all in training now. They're going from race to race to race to race, but only one will win the prize in the race that will come past here or the races. And so Paul sets that metaphor before them and says, run in such a way as to get the prize. They're in training now constantly. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, he says, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I've preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. So here are the challenges out of all of that in a nutshell. Where are the things or the places that you hang out in life that as a Christian you know you shouldn't? And you may say, well, nowhere. But I want you to include your online spaces in that as well. Where are the places in all of your world that you hang out that actually would be akin to hanging out in the President's Club or the Leather Workers' Temple? Where actually you have to compromise a little of who you are and what you stand for in order to be there. And ask yourself, is that what Jesus bought your freedom for? Is that what Jesus bought my freedom for? But over against that, what does it mean for you to translate Paul's words here? 
where he made himself a slave to everyone. He was willing to cross the room, to cross whatever barrier or cultural or socioeconomic obstacle, whatever it took to answer the call of mission to people who do not know that God loves them and is looking for them and has provided for them in Jesus. What does it look like? What shape or form might it take, whether through a ministry that we're engaged with in this church, in your workplace, or or if you're just visiting today in the places where you are normally? Where are you called to cross the room? And what does it look like or seem like where Paul speaks in this violent term of striking a blow to his body and making his body a slave so that having preached to others, he wouldn't be disqualified. He wouldn't have told other people what they should do, but not actually having shown willing to do any of it himself. What is God calling you to or calling you back to? What's he calling you back out of? And what's he inviting you to consider? Where and how are you using your freedom to proclaim Jesus And Paul wasn't the kind of apostle who just said, well, I'm here if anyone wants to ask me. (laughs) I'll tell them if they ask. Paul was proactive in his understanding that as an apostle, he was sent. And you and I are all sent, not as apostles or with the same apostolic gifting necessarily, but sent nonetheless. So, hold that chameleon in your mind. The chameleon that, on the one hand, for its own safety and survival, blends in where it can't be spotted. And the chameleon where, on the other hand, will change color to engage actively with another chameleon. Let's pray together. Loving Father, we praise and thank you for the power of your word. We thank you, Lord, for the person that crossed the room so that we might know Jesus. We thank you for the person that went out of their way to understand our world, to speak our language, to present the gospel in in ways or images or illustrations that we could relate to as kids, as teenagers, as men, as women. We thank you, Lord, for the ways in which creatively, Lord, you help us to see and understand what Jesus has done for us. We thank you, Lord, for the opportunities that you give us in this city center to engage with so many people in so many ways. But, Lord, the harvest is white and the workers are few. So, Lord, would you fire us up to know where our calling is. That might be a painful or an inconvenient one, But then the call to the cross was the most painful and inconvenient. And so, Lord, we pray that you would help us to to see and to hear where our today calling is, where our tomorrow calling is, that we might be faithful stewards, that we might be obedient in our sending, and that, Lord, the fruitfulness of the harvest the abundance of the harvest might be brought in.
Lord, we pray for our city and for the people who pass through this place and pass by it and pass around it. We thank you, Lord, again for the ministries uh, that we have opportunity. We pray for Glasgow City Mission and its work with some of the most vulnerable people. We pray for Glasgow Street pastors as they return to their ministry after a month's rest in January, uh, walking the streets in Jesus' name and opening the doors in his name to the walking wounded. We give you thanks, Lord, for the opportunities of chaplaincy, of student Christian union, of ministry on campus at the universities, at the conservatoire, at the College of Art, at the uh, City of Glasgow College, and all these student places at Strathclyde and Cali. We thank you that there are Christians bearing witness, and we pray that you give them boldness in that witness. We give you thanks for workplace chaplaincy and the relationships that they seek to build with people in the workplace, demonstrating Christ-like compassion and listening. We thank you for the opportunities of the Wild Olive Tree Cafe and pray, Lord, that we might be able uh, more and more to be sensitive to uh, the people coming in who perhaps just need a listening ear or someone able to pray or hold them to you. So, Lord, as we pray for these ministries, uh, we pray, Lord, for your church in this city. We ask you to bless it, to renew it, to revive it, that the knowledge of Jesus might go forth in new, fresh, and different ways, and that the gospel, which is so profoundly adaptable because it addresses the human condition, Lord, might find new voices in a changing world again and again. Lord, this week we think of our uh, politicians, of uh, uh, scandals and challenges at the highest level. We pray for those in highest office uh, in our land in Westminster and in Holyrood, for those in the city chambers and local government. And Lord, we pray for Christians who seek to bear witness and walk the line between holding their Christian integrity uh, and dealing in public life in uh, an increasingly post-Christian world. And we ask, Lord, that you strengthen them in their convictions and give them wisdom in where they go and where they don't go and what they do and don't do. Lord, what a difficult road to walk. And we pray that you give them every help and grace in doing that. So hear us as we pray, as we seek your blessing on one another for the challenges of our ordinary coming week and everything, Lord, that you call us to in it. And all we pray in Jesus' name.